Hi, this is Mac of MaxList. Find Your Dream Job is presented by MaxList, an online community where you can find free resources for your job search, plus online courses and books that help you advance your career. My latest book is called Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. It's a reference guide for your career that covers all aspects of the job search, including expert advice in every chapter. You can get the first chapter for free by visiting maxlist.org slash anywhere. This is Find Your Dream Job, the podcast that helps you get hired, have the career you want, and make a difference in life. I'm Mac Pritchard, your host and publisher of MaxList. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Ben Forstag, Becky Thomas, and Jessica Black from the MaxList team. This week, we're talking about how to get the best salary offer. You've got a job offer. Congratulations. Now it's time to talk salary with a hiring manager. This week's guest expert is Kwame Christian. He says to get the best salary offer, you need to prepare and know what you want. Kwame and I talk later in the show. Salary is one part of your total compensation. You also need to consider health care, retirement, and other benefits an employer may offer. Ben has found an online calculator that helps you put a dollar figure on those perks. He tells us more in a moment. You want to tell people you're job hunting and you want to ask for help. How do you do this without seeming desperate? That's our question of the week. It comes from listener Peter Weiss of Cleveland, Ohio. Becky shares her advice shortly. As always, let's first check in with the MaxList team, and let's turn to Ben Forstag, who's out there searching the nooks and crannies of the Internet. Uh, He's looking for those websites, books, tools, uh, any resource you can use in your job search and your career. So, Ben, what have you uncovered for our listeners this week? So this week I want to talk about a, a fun little tool I found online. It's an employee total compensation calculator. So I think when people think about work compensation, they tend to only really think about the salary. So they look at that like one number when making a lot of their decisions about work, whether they'll apply for the job, whether they'll ask for salary, or what they'll ask for in salary negotiation, or how much they'll push for in a pay raise. And salary is important. You know, it's a I big part of the package. Yes, and and I certainly work in large part for a paycheck, uh, but it isn't the be all end all of compensation. Many jobs come with a lot of other employee benefits, right? So things like paid vacation or four hundred one k contributions, life insurance, medical insurance, etc. These items all have real money value, and they can really improve your quality of life. And you don't want to dismiss them as an unimportant part of your total compensation package. This is actually a point that we talked about before, um, and one that Jeff Weiss emphasized in episode 37, way back in episode 37. I remember that, yeah. And he is the editor of a publication from your favorite magazine. Yes, Harvard Business Review. He wrote their guide (laughs) to negotiating. And this is actually one of his points, which is, you know, sometimes when an employer can't give more money, they may be able to give you other things that have a monetary value. Mm -hmm. So things like time off or... 
Uh, sometimes like they'll pay, be able to pay for your tuition because that comes from another fund than mm-hmm. salary. So uh, it's important to think through things like that. And this week, I'm going to share this nifty tool that I found. It's a total compensation calculator. And basically, it tells you the total value the employer is giving you based both on salary and the other benefits that are on the table. So the way it works is you enter your salary along with all the other benefits, total days off, insurance premiums, 401k contributions, all that stuff. And based on the data, the calculator tells you how much your job is worth quote, uh, in terms of compensation. And I think this was kind of eye-opening for me because I, you know, I put my own information in there and like, yeah, it's a much bigger number than what you would see on your paycheck. Uh, thank you, Mac Pritchard. Uh, <laughs> and so I think it's something to keep in mind uh, when you're looking at jobs online, for example. Um, yeah, I know a lot of the organizations post on Maxis say, like, here's the salary, and then they make a big point of, like, benefits included. Like, there's mm-hmm. lots of benefits. And and sometimes even I've been like one to like ignore that. I mean, but those benefits have value and they, they can, do. they're really, really important, mm-hmm. right? And so um, consider that. But also when you're thinking about negotiation, whether it's uh, that introductory salary you're getting or it's the time for your annual review and you're pushing for a pay raise, think about all these other benefits that are there and how you might be able to leverage those um, to increase your overall compensation package. So as always, I'll have a link in the show notes and I encourage you to type your own information in and see what pops out. Yeah, no, I love that because I remember one of my first, my first real, real jobs, quote unquote real jobs, uh, I didn't get paid very much. You know, my take home wasn't that much, but I had so many paid days off. And so it was really worth it. I could just, I, I didn't have a lot of money to go on vacation, but I could, you know, do things in town or just have more mental health days or whatever kind of personal days. And it was, it made a big difference. And it it did kind of contribute to that extra, that that total package, you know? So I've got an interesting story along these lines. When my first job out of college, I worked for the YMCA year-round, and uh, my first salary, I'll tell you, was $17,000 a year, mm. and I thought I was rich yeah. when I got that. I was <laughs> oh. like, whoa. It feels <laughs> good. Um, it does. And, and I mean, I, that was not a huge amount of money, but uh, my job also came with free housing mm-hmm. and free food, like as much food, camp food, as I wanted to eat. <laughs> Honestly, those and, are the biggest expenses. Housing and food are your top two hugest expenses. I haven't even gotten the last oh, one. And go. a car I could use whenever I wanted what? it, right? And so, like, uh, you know, $17,000 on paper doesn't look like much. But when you realize, like, there are essentially no, you know, mandatory costs here. Like, yeah. all of that money is discretionary. It changed the name of the game. And, and yes, I did use that money very discretionally. Yeah. <laughs> instead of paying for rent or food or a car. Um, so Good for you. It's. I, I think it's the kind of thing you should look at and think about. Yeah, and certainly another big ticket item is is health insurance. And as you get older, your premiums get bigger. And so for people, and you appreciate having paid health insurance a lot more as as you get older. I think. I think you do because you, particularly if you have a spell of self employment and you're in your forties or fifties, you might be looking at an after tax health insurance premium of. Mm-hmm. Fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a year, yeah, uh, and so that means you've got to pay payroll taxes on top of that. So, and you're less risky. I know. Uh, before said real job, yeah. <laughs> I mentioned before, I uh, I 
didn't have enough money to pay for my own health insurance. And mm-hmm. so I went without for many years uh, before Obamacare forced me to make sure that I had it all, all times. And before, before I, I, I also had jobs that took care of it for me, which was great. But, um, but yeah, you, once you get older, you can't really do that risky, no, you can't. that risky business anymore. <laughs> Well, great tips. Uh, Thanks for that resource, Ben. And if you've got your own suggestion for Ben, please write him. His address is ben at maxlist.org. We'd love to share your idea on the show. Now let's turn to you, our listeners, and Becky joins us to answer one of your questions. So, Becky, what's in the mailbag this week? A letter from Ohio, I hear. Yes, we've got a question from Peter Weiss of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, And he writes, I've been told to reach out to my network when I'm looking for a job. I see people do this on LinkedIn with mixed results, but I'm nervous about appearing desperate. What's the best way to share news about my job search and ask for help? Uh, This is a great question, Peter. I have sort of seen the same thing happening on LinkedIn where people will like say, I got laid off today or I just left my job. And there's like some levels of sharing personal or sort of like emotional information, like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. What am I going to do? Sort of like maybe some oversharing. And I think a lot of that is sort of like your personal preference, what you want to do. But I think as far as appearing desperate goes, I think part of this is ego driven. You don't want to be vulnerable, especially like on your professional social profiles. A lot of people worry about sharing some of that sort of tough news publicly. But the thing is, everybody can relate to it. And so if you if you approach it from a positive perspective and with a clear ask, you will get support. And if you're recently unemployed, you need that support. So I think that it is sort of a, a personal decision how much you want to sort of publicly advertise your unemployment or your, your you know, looking for a job. Um, and you don't have to put out like a full public blast on LinkedIn or Facebook or something. Um, I've personally had success just sending like the same similar email to different contacts when, I, when I've been looking for a job, just letting them know that you're looking, um, the types of roles that you're targeting, and giving them specific asks. If you want them to introduce you to someone else or something, you can sort of personalize it. So that's that's a, one way to do it. You don't have to you know put it out there for everybody to see. But there is an advantage to posting publicly because you never know who's going to have an opportunity for you. So if you do do that, um, be sure to make it positive. Um, Don't criticize your former employer like pretty much ever. Like that's never a good thing to do. Um, So really just let people know that you are excited about the next phase of your career. And again, I think the key here is to really ask for what you want um, because otherwise people don't know, you know, you gotta, you, Max says this all the time, you gotta make it easy for people to help you, right? Like mm-hmm. you gotta make a clear ask and, and help people help you. Um, another thing I was thinking about, um, there's like specific groups on LinkedIn and Facebook, like industry related or expertise. Like if you're a part of some professional groups, that's a good place to sort of make your post public, but it's not blasting it to everybody who follows you. Um, so that's one way to do it too. I know there's like a growing number of, of professional groups on Facebook where people are just sharing like, Hey, I'm looking for this person. I I'm, I've got an opportunity open or I'm available and I'm looking for work, things like that. So it's more of a sharing sort of forum. So that could be a good place to do that as well. Um, 
And as far as like the place where you want to post stuff, I recommend posting on LinkedIn over like a public Facebook post, but I think that's me. Like I don't typically use Facebook for professional networking. So I wanted to know what you guys thought about that. I am a big fan of using Facebook to tell people that you're looking for work. Really? Yeah. So that makes think, me sort of like. Ugh. I know it makes me feel that way too. But think I'm, about I'm it. Kind of in your camp. Yeah. But okay. In, let's hear Think about yeah. it. Okay. So for the most part, I mean, you're obviously friends with a bunch of people you barely knew in high school on Facebook, right? Yeah. But most of the people that you're friends with on Facebook are like family members, friends, people that you know from your past. If there's anyone in the world who's going to help you and wants to help you, it's these people, right? And you need to at least let them know that you're looking. Because, um, frankly, a lot of goodwill there. there's a lot of goodwill. And, like, do you really know what your uncle does for a living? Do you know what his spouse does for a living? Do you know what his spouse's best friend does for a living? I mean, like, yeah. there's all these connections out there that if you don't even tell people that you're looking, like, you just never know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the story I think about is, you know, Three years ago, I was in the same boat. I did. I was unemployed. I did not want people to know about it. I didn't mm-hmm. post it on Facebook. And uh, when I finally got a job, I posted some message like, "Oh, I'm really excited. After you know four months, I, I got a job. I'm excited to start on Monday." Mm-hmm. And two different people are like, "Oh, I didn't even know you were looking. If you had told me, like, I I knew a, some someone who's hiring down the street." Yeah. And it's like those kind of things. You you only stumble across them if people know that you're you're out there. I think that's, that's a really true. good point um, because that's what I think. Regardless of the medium that you use for this, because um, I am personally more of the e- the personal email mm-hmm. um, to like my trusted network. Yeah. Um, but I think going about it via LinkedIn or even Facebook or however you feel most comfortable is completely fine. I think that the key is to doing it in a way if it if you if it feels uncomfortable to put all of your information um, you know all of the details and the everything and it feels too personal to share it on a social network you don't have to say hey i you know just was recently laid off or i quit my job after this you can just say hi friends or hi um, you know whatever kind of send it out into your network saying I'm looking for a job in this. Let me know if you know anyone. And but again, being very focused and tailored in it, and then um, and then letting that happen rather than going into sort of the. I think that's what, what that's what I got gathered from Peter's comments was that it was it was very um, people were sharing too much personal information mm, yeah. and that was what was putting him off. And so I feel like that's okay if that's not your style. Yeah. Um, but find the way that it works for you and it. Addressing the side of things that um, I, I agree with you, Becky, that it's not desperate. I think that's our own personal. It feels it feels uncomfortable to share those types of things because nobody wants to be in that position, um, whether it was your choice or not to be unemployed. It's it's scary to talk about, and especially when you don't have something else lined up. And I think, I mean, I've definitely done this a lot where I try to just take on the burden on my own because I don't want to, I don't want to air my dirty laundry or I don't want people to know that I'm struggling or Mm -hmm. those types of things. But, um, the few times that I have reached out to the trusted colleagues, it's been really beneficial. And I think Ben's spot on that you don't know who can help you until you 
reach out. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think we're all circling the same idea here, which is like you need to be purposeful in what you're posting online, right? Because right. again, you know, when you're out of work, you feel out of control. Like you mm-hmm. don't have a whole lot of control in the situation, and it is desperate if you're like, I'll take anything. Yeah, help yeah, me, help me. That, that yeah. would be desperate, right? There, there but are if you, bad ways to do it. Yeah. But if you're purposeful and you say, I am looking for a new opportunity that does X, Y, and Z, right? Whatever X, Y, and Z is for you, I think that's not desperate. That's being clear, and I think people mm-hmm. like actually look up to that and say like, oh, like. Becky or Jessica or Mac, they look really like purpose driven here and they know what they're looking for. And that's and not desperate, I, that's assertive. It's impressive, and, yeah. Right. And then they'll say, Oh, I know my cousin's uncle has um, their own firm in whatever it is that you're looking for and they can put you in contact. And that's, mm-hmm. it is. It's really, I mean, that's a lot of. A lot of how you get your job, we say this a lot, is by using your network. So I think that's yeah. good. Yeah, I, I think you're, you've all made this point in one way or another. It, it's a targeted communication. You're clear about what you want and how people can help you. It's not an online diary entry. No. You know, today I right. came home and I, after losing my job, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. Instead, it's I, I'm doing a job search. These are, this is my goal. Uh, here are ways I hope people can help me. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, please email me directly or contact me in this way. And, and I'll be reaching out to some of you individually, but um, I just want to get the word out. Yeah, mm-hmm. like totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks, guys. You know, great. Well, great question. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Becky. And if you've got a question for Becky, uh, she too would like to hear from you. Her address is becky at maxlist.org. Or call the listener line. That's area code 716-JOB-TALK. Or use your Facebook account and post uh, your question on our Facebook page. If we use your question on the show, we'll send you a copy of our new book, Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. We'll be back in a moment. And when we return, I'll talk with this week's guest, Kwame Christian, about how to get the best salary offer. let's turn to this week's guest expert, Kwame Christian. Kwame Christian is a business lawyer and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. He also serves as a negotiation consultant for attorneys and for companies closing large business deals. And Kwame hosts Negotiate Anything. It's the top-ranked podcast on negotiation in the United States. In every episode, he interviews successful entrepreneurs and shares powerful persuasion techniques. He joins us today from Columbus, Ohio. Kwame, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mac. It's a pleasure. Now, our topic this week is how to get the best salary uh, offer when a job offer has been made. Uh, and, it, and this is a point where people are excited. Um, and uh, so let sometimes they might say yes to the first uh, figure that's mentioned. Let's start with that very basic question. Why shouldn't listeners accept the first salary figure an employer offers? Yeah, that is a, that's a very good question and an important one. Um, the reason why you shouldn't accept the first offer in, in most situations is because the hiring manager is going to make the offer with the assumption that you will negotiate. So there's typically uh, a little bit of wiggle room when it comes to the first offer that's given. So 
it's almost like a, an opening gambit. They're expecting you to make a certain move. If you don't, then you, you've given them an unanticipated windfall. And I, I think that'll come as a surprise to some of our listeners because uh, I don't think many job seekers understand that there is some flexibility on the part of the employer. And in fact, they're expecting you to, to push back, aren't they, Kwame? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I've, I've recognized with uh, when I'm dealing with people or working with people who are accepting offers and trying to negotiate their salaries and just uh, professionals in general. Uh, we're, we're not brought up in a way in, in this country where we assume flexibility um, in these offers as they come. But one of the first things we need to do if we're going to improve our ability to negotiate is to first improve our negotiation recognition. Uh, many people don't negotiate well simply because they fail to to realize when they have the opportunity to negotiate. So that's uh, the, the first thing that we need to do, recognize that we have the opportunity to negotiate and take advantage of that flexibility. And I want to talk in a moment about the negotiation process itself. But I also, because you raised that point about the importance of recognizing there's an opportunity here, just want to acknowledge there, there's a gender difference too in in how people approach negotiation, isn't there? There is, and it's uh, it's really unfair. And so here's here's how it, it plays out. So, for instance, um, the the most popular book on the gender dynamics in negotiation is called "Women Don't Ask." It's written by uh, Linda Babcock and Sarah Lashiver. It was a phenomenal book, and it outlined. The, the biggest barrier to women in negotiation is the failure to ask for what they want and deserve. And men who are similarly situated, in addition to having the social constructs um, it, uh, in their favor, they are more likely to ask for what they want. And as a result, um, according to their studies, they were doing their, their research out of Case Western, they feel as though the wage gap could almost be eliminated simply by taking the step, that first step of asking for what you want in the negotiation. So that's the first gender barrier that women face uh, because there's a, a social stigma that comes with, uh, with women who stand up for themselves and ask for what they want. So for men, when they do that, it's seen as being assertive and it's a good thing, but there's a, there's a stereotype against women where they're supposed to just kind of accept what's given for them, given to them. And so when it comes to understanding this stereotype and how uh, pernicious it can be in these types of situations, it's important to understand there are two different uh, types of stereotypes that can be at play. A descriptive stereotype, uh, that's a stereotype that describes a certain kind of behavior that you anticipate a certain person to take, and a prescriptive stereotype that doesn't define the behavior, but it prescribes a behavior. It says this is how you should act in a certain situation. So for example, for an African-American male, I, which I am, um, I'm in that group, uh, the Stereotype is somebody who's aggressive, less intelligent, um, those type of things. So that's what they're anticipating from me. But for a woman in a negotiation situation, they're anticipating that you will not stand up for yourself and you will not be assertive. And if you do, it is actually more damaging. And so with that knowledge, what we need to do as if you're a woman in a negotiation is you can't assert yourself in the exact same way because it has negative impacts. And that's what we've been seeing in the studies, which is 
unfair, but it's important to know that. So in order to, to negotiate effectively in these situations, you have to take a more collaborative approach. Um, and so that means focusing on the needs, not only of yourself, but also of the team and the company and focusing heavily on establishing rapport on the front end. And that is a way for you to kind of circumvent those, uh, those societal barriers that stand in your way when it comes to negotiation. So you still need to ask but you have to ask in a slightly different way. So let's talk about how to ask. But before we do that, uh, let's, let's talk about how a candidate should prepare for that conversation. The job offer is on the table. The candidate is interested. They, they may, in fact, are probably very excited about the position. And the next step is there's going to be a conversation about salary. Why should people prepare for this conversation, Kwame, instead of winging it? <laughs> yes, the the desire to freestyle is strong. It <laughs> is, this, isn't in, it? Yeah, it is. Do you think and it's so because people just, are anxious and they just don't know how to do it, or what? Do, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of anxiety, and you don't want to seem greedy or needy. I think those are the two of the biggest psychological barriers people face when it comes to these discussions. If I ask for more than what they're offering, are they going to look down on me? Are they going to see me as greedy? Or are they going to think that I'm so <laughs> impoverished that I need every little bit that I can get? Um, and, and neither of those are, are realistic concerns yeah. if you are able to negotiate effectively. So that's and why so people it, postpone the preparation. But when they do the preparation uh, the right way, what does that look like, Kwame? How, what do people need to do to get ready? Yeah, I... I'm an academic kind of person. And so I, I prefer to prepare in a very systematic way. And I do that because I know that I could, if I follow a certain step of certain, uh, certain steps, I can know when I feel there's, there's a completion point. If you don't have any, any guidance with how to prepare, you'll never really know whether or not you're there, whether or not you've adequately prepared. Um, numerous studies have shown that this, the, the willingness to prepare and the amount of preparation is the single biggest determining factor when it comes to success in negotiation uh, simulations. And so when we come to these actual uh, conversations, it's going to be the exact same way. Um, the saying competence breeds confidence holds true in this situation. The more, the more, uh, Competence brings confidence, I should say. So the more competent you are through the act of uh, thorough preparation, the more confident you will be in those conversations and you'll be able to navigate them with, uh, with uh, a much more aplomb when it comes to getting what you want. So what are, say, your top three practical tips about how people should prepare for that conversation? What, what, what do they need to do before they uh, start talking about numbers and salary with a, a hiring manager? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to recognize um, who you are and what you have to offer and what the market looks like. And so let's say I'm applying to a law firm job and they offered me $100,000. And I say, thank you for that offer. I appreciate it. But I think I should have $300,000. Now, that's, it's aggressive. It's ambitious. Um, <laughs> not, le <laughs> not legitimate at all. Um, and he here's the thing. When you, when you come back with a counteroffer, you need to legitimize what you're saying with something called objective, legitimate criteria. So the first part, objective, uh, that's the opposite of subjective. It is rooted in something that is uh, factual. 
And you want it to be legitimate. And legitimacy in this case uh, has to do with respect. And so in this situation, you want to get something, you want to base your facts in something that would be respected by both parties. So for example, in a salary negotiation situation, the, the respected party would be something like Indeed or Glassdoor, uh, something that is a third party neutral uh, that would give a fair estimation for what somebody in your industry and with your experience can anticipate making uh, for a position like this. And then you can utilize that criteria in your uh, counteroffer. So that's the first thing that I'd focus on. And then I'd also focus on figuring out your unique characteristics and how it fits perfectly with the job that you've been offered. Um, a lot of times we focus too heavily on the things that are the obvious. So our degrees, our years of experience, but you need to take some time and, and ask yourself, what makes you different? And honestly, one of the, uh, negotiation techniques you could use is asking the other party why they chose you. Um, because when you think about it from an evolutionary psychology perspective, um, there's always the dichotomy between the person who's being chased and the person who is chasing. And so if you back in the ancient days, if you're sitting on the savannah trying to, uh, trying to survive and an animal runs directly at you, you're most likely going to run away. And then Thinking about today, uh, an animal that's primitive compared to us is a dog. If you stand next to a dog and you run away, that dog's going to chase you. And so you in this position, a lot of people think that they are the person who should be doing the chasing. I have an offer. Let me take it immediately. But what you can do by asking the question, why did you choose me? It, sh it shifts the, the, that dichotomy where you are the person being chased. Now they are justifying why they want you. And information is going to be the lifeblood of every negotiation. When they are justifying why they want you, you're getting the information that you need to figure out what it is about you that made you different from all of the other applicants because they only have one offer and they gave it to you. That's a pretty big signal that they, that they want you. So let's figure out why. And then when you're countering, you could use that same justification to legitimize your counterproposal. So... Uh, know what the market pays for someone with your skills and accomplishments. And second, know why, what makes you unique to that particular employer. Now, when you start those conversations, why is it important, Kwame, to be the first person to mention a number? Yes, and this, this gets into the psychological principle of anchoring. And so with anchoring, the, the first number that's said um, is going to have a disproportionate amount of, of strength when it comes to uh, pulling, the num pulling the final offer, the final number in a certain direction. So for example, if they say the first offer, which they should, they have more information, and that's a, a simple rule of thumb you could use, whoever has more information should make the first offer. And so the employer in this case is going to be the person making the first offer. But then what you should do is you should come back with the most aggressive offer or counter proposal that you can reasonably justify using the legitimate criteria that we discussed earlier. And then from there, you can assume that they're going to either counter or accept, but you want to give yourself enough wiggle room that you, for you to be creative and use some things as bargaining chips, either money, vacation, uh, other benefits, move some things around, but you want to give yourself as much um, movement, uh, 
space to move as possible. And you do that by being aggressive with your first offer. So use anchoring to, to set that range and then expect to have a conversation with some back and forth. When do you walk away from a salary negotiation, Kwame? What, uh, how do you, and how do you decide when to do that? You need to, you need to decide that in your preparation. And this is, I'm, I'm really glad you asked this question because this gets into the, to the meat of preparation because you shouldn't be surprised by what people say in a negotiation if you've prepared effectively. You should have worked out every possible contingency if you do it in a very systematic way. And so you need to predetermine as much of this negotiation as possible so you don't need to think on the fly during the, uh, during the actual discussion. Because during the discussion, we're going to be stressed out. We're not thinking as clearly. It's going to be more difficult for us to do that. So before you enter into that conversation, you need to know clearly what your baseline is. And so here's an example. I was uh, working with a client earlier this summer. Uh, He ended up getting an offer for, I think it was about $135,000 per year. He wasn't very happy with that. And um, when I was talking to him in the preparation process, I was asking him what his walkaway point was. What is your walkaway point? He said, 60,000, 160,000. And I said, okay, if they offered you 155,000, would you accept that? He said, yeah, I'd probably accept that. If you offer, if they offered you 150,000, would you accept that? Uh, yeah, I'd probably accept that. And so I, I kept doing that until I found the real one because <laughs> 160 is still, that's your aspiration, but it's not your walkaway point. And you want to be able to have quick answers for these questions during the conversation because when you start to waffle in the conversations, it, it signals to the other side that they're, that they're close. And so if they were to offer something around the 150 range to him and he was kind of wavering on that, they would know that they're in the ballpark. Whereas if he would have had a clear answer to that, um, it would have made it clear to them that, oh, we're, we're, not, we're not even in the same ballpark right now. Um, we ended up getting uh, $155,000 per year and a $20,000 signing bonus. So they had a lot more room to move. Uh, but the fact that he was able to reject offers that weren't in his range with confidence uh, led them to make more adjustments over the course of the negotiation. So bottom line, know what you want. Well, this has been a great conversation, Kwame. Uh, tell us what's next for you. Yeah, I have some cool things coming down the pike. Um, I did a TED Talk last month and it went really well. It's on uh, finding confidence in conflict because when it comes to negotiation, a lot of times there is a conflict at the front end of the conversation. And if you don't do a good job of addressing the conflict, you will not be able to persuade the other person. So it's about building rapport, uh, strengthening relationships through the use of conflict. And so that should be coming out in December. And then I also have a free guide uh, for your listeners. It's a salary negotiation guide and much, much more. So like I said, I it's good to have a very systematic approach to uh preparing for these negotiations. And this guide has a salary negotiation guide, a conflict resolution guide, and it talks about the three characteristics of effective negotiators. So it'll provide you with a framework that you can use to prepare for your your next salary negotiation and actually feel confident in the amount of preparation that you've put into it. Well, we'll be sure to include a link to that guide in the show notes. 
Uh, and I did have a chance to visit your website and, and prepare for this conversation, Kwame. And I was very impressed by the thoroughness of the the content that you the the, the advice you offer about negotiation, not only for salary but other other issues in the workplace. Uh, people can learn more too uh, about you and your work by I know by visiting your website, which is AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com. Kwame, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Take care. We're back in the MaxList studio with Becky, Ben, and Jessica. And I'd love to hear from you all around the table here. What is are the key takeaways you took from my conversation with Kwame? What are the key Takeaways you took from the conversation, Max. <laughs> I asked You're that turning in, it back on me. That's yes. right. I'd say that in jest because Key uh, I thought that was that was great. That idea of, of turning the tables and saying like, "Well, why did you pick me? What what uh, are you basing uh, the the salary feel? that you've you've given me? What are you basing that on?" And yeah. really like putting the other person on the spot and making them answer that question, mm-hmm. um, so that you're the one being chased rather than you chasing them. I thought that how was you, great. How do you phrase that though? I was thinking about that. Like that was really smart too. But I could see it. Maybe that's from a female perspective too. Like I feel like it would come off as super aggressive in a negotiation. Well, no, I think I think if we're going to s- talk. Let's talk let's, about that because we? we. Well, no, 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 not. I'm, not I'm yet. out. No, 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 no. No, you I need just to be wanted a part to. Of this conversation. I wanted to table that for later. I don't want to lose that message, but I want you to continue. Okay. No, I mean, I, I was, you know, as you enter that phase of the the hiring process where you start talking about money. I mean, you say like, or even when they right when they say like, we'd like to offer you the job. Yeah, you know, thank you. That's great. I'm really excited. Tell me why you think I'm the right candidate for the job. How, mm-hmm. Why did I make it to the top of the list? And like, I love that. Literally, like, have them just articulate all the reasons they think you're great. And, yeah. And so it's it's then, kind of like that benchmarking he was talking about, yeah. or that anchoring, where like you're anchoring on really good things so that you have a stronger position to to ask for a higher amount. They basically like are listing the reasons why for you. Yeah, they're yeah. listing out your negotiation like tactics yeah. for you. And then you can like come back with, well, here's why this is so valuable and yeah. Right. Well, you just mentioned that I am strong in this and this and this. So, yeah. here's and I have why this experience here's why I, yeah. I deserve this extra bit of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's strong. Yeah. And I am um, the ultimate social proof. The person is telling absolutely. you all the great things uh, absolutely. that make you the best candidate. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a great tactic and it um, I think you laid that out really well, Ben, of making it conversational and not aggressive because um, I think that there are ways that it could be um, you know, it could come across as as if you if you don't phrase it well, mm-hmm. it, it can be very interrogative yeah. um, rather than you have to sort of the inc- be like graceful about the, it. The soft, you know, handling. So I think that's a really important um, step. And and it struck me that one of the reasons that people really struggle with this is because throughout the entire hiring process, like we tell people, like always show you're interested, always like go overboard in expressing how interested you are, send a thank you note, send an email, like tell them in the interview, at the end of the interview, ask for the job. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like we, a switch is turned. Now you're supposed to be like, I'm interested, but like I you could walk cool. away, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I need to be paid enough. 
And so it's, it's like tough making balance. that pivot is really tough, I it think. It is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. yeah. But it's important to recognize that when that offer's on the table, you're, as a candidate, uh, you've got leverage. You're, Absolutely. You're, you're, you're at your most attractive as a candidate and I at think that that's, stage of the process. Yeah, and I loved that he mentioned that sort of at the beginning of the fact that employers expect a negotiation or um, a little bit of a conversation at least about it. Yeah. And and when you don't, when you kind of just accept the first offer, not to say that it, it you know, speaks less of you or anything like that, but they, but it's just interesting that it's, it's expected, and you have a choice. You, you should you yeah. don't don't shy away from it because you should always be negotiating. And mm-hmm. I think that goes back to um, what I really want to talk about because <laughs> 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 I definitely wrote that down of when he was talking about the the um, gender when you guys were talking sure. about the gender differences and the wage gap and things like that. And um, I I had a tough time when he mentioned that he thinks that the wage gap could be eliminated if women just asked for what they wanted. Well, he's and, citing research from two authors at Case Western. So, okay, yeah. and I completely believe that he has research for that, but I don't think it's as easy as, you know, women just speak up for what you want and then the wage gap will be eliminated. I think well, that that's he, a... F- yeah, and I think he did contextualize that in, of course. Like afterwards too, saying like, you know, like people do have preconceived notions and you have to sort of like factor that in and that's the part I appreciated that, that that's the part that's hard for me is that women and you know minorities and like all kinds of people who Anybody. are and older professionals yeah. everybody has to like there's this there's this sort of notion that everyone who has some sort of inherent bias about who they are they need to sort of like kowtow to the employer's preconceived notions and I just have a problem with that you know like mm-hmm. it, it's it's unfortunate that it that it is that way and I think maybe sometimes we're not giving employers enough credit and like we should just sort of like be who you are and not not try to assume the worst about employers sometimes. Um, but again, it's like, how do you do that? I think, um, I think the lesson that we can learn from this is that everybody can be better. Employers, mm-hmm. employers can be better in, um, you know, having less inherent bias. Yeah. Right? Like, like naming your bias and getting over it sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And job seekers can be better of speaking up for, you know, mm-hmm. using the tools that Kwame listed to be able to come in, be prepared. Fully prepared. Yeah. yeah. Fully prepared. Um, knowing what your, your sort of lowest rung will be and what your ideal, you know, what your range is, I guess. And, um, knowing your talking points of why you are asking for what you're asking for mm-hmm. and ask for what you want. Yeah. There's no, there's no harm in saying it. And if it doesn't happen, at least you asked. Yeah. You know? And I like that. What, what do you started out with was that take the opportunity, yep. you know, people expect you to negotiate, go for it. Like give yourself mm-hmm. permission and like, and, and do it, ask for it. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people think that if they ask for it, the job offer will be revoked. Yeah, and I very rarely hear that that ever it happens. It doesn't happen. Yeah. And what he was saying, too, is that, you know, you're there getting that job offer because the employer wants you. Mm-hmm. And you got to this point because of what you bring to the table. And so having that confidence and, you know, believing in your own competence Mm -hmm. is, um, a huge, a huge value in making sure that you bring that into the negotiation is important. Yeah. Women and men. Yes. (laughs) Agreed. Go do it. All right. Go for it. Ask.
Well, thank you all, and thank you, Kwame, and thank you, our listeners, for downloading today's episode of Find Your Dream Job. Now, if you like what you hear, please sign up for our free weekly newsletter. In every issue, we give you the key points of that week's show, and we include links to all the resources mentioned, as well as a transcript of the full episode. Subscribe to the newsletter now, and we'll send you our new guide, the Top Career Podcasts of 2017. Discover all the podcasts that can help you find a great job and get the career you want. Get your free guide and newsletter today. Go to maxlist.org slash topcareerpodcasts2017. And join us next Wednesday when our special guest will be Alexis Perota. She'll explain how to get the experience you need to switch careers. Until next time, thanks for letting us help you find your dream job.